Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And right now we're doing Read the Reviews. This review is called Great Style. Vocals and style excellent. Funner, not a word. No true words have ever been spoken. This was a five-star review by Sir John Abbott. Thank you, Sir John Abbott, for leaving this review. Now, let's get into the intro. Who did you interview in this episode? I interviewed Leah Bowden. Why did you interview her? Well, I wanted to interview Leah because I'm covering different homeschooling styles. I know I try to offer a diverse range of backgrounds and opinions and styles. I speak a lot about unschooling and self-directed learning, but I want to explore a little bit more. We just had an episode on classical education with Lisa and Dylan from Wisdom Wonder Project, and now I wanted to explore and learn more about the Charlotte Mason method, and Leah is the go-to for that. Uh, her website, Modern Miss Mason, is a wonderful resource, and that's why I asked her to come on the show and teach me more about Charlotte Mason. Sounds interesting. Is there anything else you would like to say about her? Uh, Leah and I, I think, had very similar ideas on children and learning, and that's what I loved. Even though our methods may be different, we had a lot of similarities, a lot of things crossed, and that was always enjoyable. We had a great conversation. She's a home educator that has four kids. She's been home educating for over 14 years, and through those years, she's been building upon the foundations of the Charlotte Mason philosophy with her children. She's a firm believer in peace, freedom, and individuality in our homeschool environments, and she teaches this over at Modern Miss Mason. She does have an online course, Charlotte Mason Unboxed, and she loves the art of communication, and this is pretty clear. It comes through, but I definitely recommend finding her over at Modern Miss Mason or leahbowden.com. And don't forget to check out my mom on Instagram, Facebook, and on her website at Hanyam Homeschooling the Kids. And did you know that your support helps make the show production possible? Visit www.patreon.com slash Hanyam Homeschooling the Kids. And don't forget to leave a review. Enjoy the episode. Today, I have Leah Bowden joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, Leah. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I've asked Leah to come on because I viewed her as the best teacher for myself and the listeners who want to learn more about Charlotte Mason and the modern Charlotte Mason method. Leah Bowden has been homeschooling for over 14 years now. She actually lives in the UK. She's from the UK, and she has a wonderful website and podcast where you can learn more modern Miss Mason, and that's how I first heard of her and was connected to her. So I want to thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for asking me. So great to be with you guys. So maybe you could give us a little more background about yourself. How did you get into homeschooling? Sure. Well, I I actually took it after graduating from university. I took a year out in the States. Uh, I was in, where was I? St. Louis, Missouri, of all places. Uh, yeah. Um, this is the first time I'd come across homeschoolers. I happened to be around uh, a center that supported homeschoolers and um, met homeschool families, met children. And I, I remember being amazed at just how uh, things like they were having great conversations with adults and just seemed really bright and engaged with their learning. And I, 
you know, sometimes this little seed kind of is sown in a certain time in your life and then it comes back years later. And I remember thinking, oh, I, I wonder if I could do that one day, but I had no clue if it was um, legal in the UK, if that was anything that was possible. So, uh, you know, I was single at the time, didn't even know my husband who is now. And sort of scoot sco on a few years, um, here I was married with two children and our eldest child was had just got to school age and we like everybody else in our community it kind of signed her up for the local school or the local nursery I guess which would be like the kindergarten year in the states mm -hmm. yep and they have to wear uniform a little red jumper like a um a sweater and they carried a book bag and this is at like three and a half years old they start school very early here and I remember walking down our street to the school where she was enrolled and immediately thought I didn't want to do this this is not mm. what I wanted to do now I unfortunately what I hadn't done and many listeners may um may be able to relate to this I hadn't engaged my husband with this conversation <laughs> <or running> him. <laughs> we were both you know raised in a similar way in the UK uh, went through the normal UK school system and so she here she is this little girl in this system and I and I kind of we entered into this conversation together we actually took two years to research meet other people, find out legal requirements and fully know this is absolutely what we want to do and there's no backing out. And I'm glad, sometimes I wish we'd kind of done it straight away, but also I'm glad for the journey because we were both in the same place when we started that journey and we were fully convinced that this was the right thing to do. And we knew two, by then we knew two other home educating families in the UK too so you know I mean it's such a different climate now so we began and um just before we started I had a third child so there I was all enthusiastically you know sitting children around the table breastfeeding another one toddler at the floor <laughs> I, I was in the trenches but so excited knowing this is absolutely what I'm supposed to be doing and for me and for the children and for the time in our life and we haven't looked back since um and you know I'm just about to walk into another fresh year of homeschooling and just as passionate and excited about this year as I was way back then even more so actually Wow, that's wonderful. That's that's a great fire to keep going and keep alive. Yes, I think it's important. I think we need it to keep that, you know, to have that longevity and to continue that passion. It's, uh, yeah, it's, you kind of, kind of go stay, stay fresh yourself in it all, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it, it also carries on to our kids, I think, as well. E nice even thing. if we try yeah. not to show it, it absolutely does show. Yeah, and I think it's, I think, I think what I've learned to do is to create rhythms of rest in the day where I, you know, especially when they were little, especially when I had toddlers and, and children who were in the early stages of, of, of their learning journey is just kind of have those moments of pause in the day where I could rest, they could rest, uh, but then also strategically kind of planning our year out so they were weeks of rest as well and just know when to say pause know when to say stop mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a good discipline okay okay so I want to ask then did you Charlotte Mason because that is the the main tool I, I guess you learning style that you yeah. use in your homeschooling 
Did you know anything about Charlotte Mason when you first started? Did you kind of, did the book fall in your lap and you started reading it and it piqued your interest? How did that come about for homeschooling for you? So, um, I mean, interestingly enough, even though she spent the majority of her career in, you know, in the UK, in the north of England, she is not, well, was not definitely very well known within the education circles and especially homeschooling when I started. Um, She kind of had been resurrected really in the States. When I was doing this two years of research with my husband, I came across a website very early on in that research and began to read about Charlotte Mason. And again, it was all American blogs and websites. And I just straight away thought, this feels like home. This feels like the most natural way to approach childhood and education and even motherhood. There was, even though she wasn't a mother herself, what she spoke into the mother as the educator, um, everything about it just stood out to me. And I really didn't go anywhere else. I didn't particularly go down any of the rabbit holes apart from, from her philosophy. So I started to research online that I bought her six volumes um took me a long time to read them like years to read them which is a big encouragement to people who are thinking they've got to rush through them took me years to read them and there are many books that um, you can read alongside but I just began to read what I could in the season of life that I was in and implement what seemed right at that time, you know, which was appropriate for the ages of my children. And again, just to repeat what I said before, we haven't looked back since. Um, It's just become more and more enthralling. Hmm, Okay. So Charlotte Mason, she, when was she alive? Because she's like, she's an older figure, right? Yeah, yeah. Late 19th century, early 20th century. So died 1923. Um, so she's, uh, yeah, been gone a long time. And she's of Irish origin, actually, but spent, uh, was orphaned at 16. And as soon as she could, went into education, um, began to train as a teacher and spent her whole life, uh, never married, never had children, but spent her whole life for the sake of children, you know, educate, learning about children, training others in how to educate, whether it was governesses, teachers, mothers, and right to her dying day, she was writing. In fact, her sixth volume was published after her death. Um, oh, and and even in her archives, there are still... Um, notebooks and works that have never been published Uh, she just was a prolific writer and just wanted yeah it's it's amazing and I've been through the archives quite a few times but she just wanted to she kind of had this very focused vision for her life and what she wanted to give in the time she was here and um, she made a huge impact a huge impact in nations across the world but especially here in the UK and and now obviously in homeschool families all across the world. Hmm. So what was her foundation? What did she represent? So she had, you know, if you look at the six volumes, they, they can be very overwhelming. Um, Mm -hmm. They are, I mean, to me, they were, 
But the heart of it really is the foundation of the philosophy comes down to 20 principles. But even those 20 principles comes down to two. And I and many people who speak into and about the Charlotte Mason philosophy would say this. Um, her first foundational principle is that children are born persons. So her approach to childhood was children are born whole. They're not born uh, ready to be molded and filled and, and kind of a, something for us to craft and make something out of. They're born ready, curious, with value to bring into the world. And our role as educators, parents, is to bring them into an environment where they can feast, so she uses the word feast, where they can take from ideas, from writers, artists, composers, thinkers, and then make them their own. So, so it's very much her approach. Was how? So the first question is, how do you view children? If you view them as um, something to be filled, you know, like spoon feeding. So kind of, mm -hmm. I will tell you what you need to know, and this is what the outcome would be. That's the complete opposite of the Charlotte Mason philosophy. And then the second thing was, she said, um, education is the science of relations. So relationship was incredibly important and is incredibly important to the philosophy. Uh, she was a, a Christian woman. She's had an Anglican, um, uh, denomination was Anglican. She, um, she very much talked about children and their relationship to God. And then she talked about children and their relationship to great thinkers and artists and writers and all this kind of stuff. And then also the connection with everything they're learning. So relating everything to each other. So how we view children, how we view education and how all that comes together really is the foundation of the philosophy. Obviously, the methodology that comes out of that and how we do that is very nuanced and layered and I could be here for days with you <laughs> talking about that but I think, you know when I'm coaching people or if I'm uh people just ask uh, where do I start I'm like let's start with how you view children tell me how you view children and I think that's a really good starting point because unless you if you're seeing them as something that we can deeply control and mold and feed then you you have to do a paradigm shift in your thinking and um you know begin to see them as these incredible whole people who have something to say and have you know value to bring to the world even as young even as young children and it's really right. I love that I think that was amazing yeah I think and you know I what I find usually in a school setting, for example, or in, you know, the schooly idea, schoolish idea is more that the same, that children are maybe empty vessels yes. that need to be filled, that you have all of the contents and then it's your job as a teacher or educator to fill that empty vessel. Right. It's a very different way of looking at it for sure. So you can imagine then, especially if someone is trying to implement the Charlotte Mason philosophy after deregistering children from school. And a lot of people will ask me, how do I do this with teenagers, with older children? I've just taken them out of school. And it all, it all begins with, you know, they want to know, what do I buy? You know, what do I do? And it actually yeah. begins with, how do you think? And I think, um, the responsibility starts with us as it does with parenting and it starts with how how do you view children and I think you're right the, the traditional education uh, system 
is very much because there's a very clear outcome, especially here in the UK, you know, you put the children in a system and the outcome is they must pass these exams, they must answer these questions in this way. So therefore, the feeding of, ed- of, of information is always the same. Whereas education, Charlotte Mason said, is the only sustenance for education is ideas. And ideas mm. come to the children from what you lay out for them, from the books they're reading and the, the art they're looking at and the poetry they're listening to and the environment they're in. And it's their ideas. That is what education is. And it's, it's um, I, I think the big, one of the biggest words I would say is it's a big trust experiment. It's a big, yes. you really have to trust the, the, the process, trust the, the philosophy and trust yourself and, and trust your children. You really have to trust childhood because they are brilliant children are incredible they really are they absolutely are you know it's interesting listening to you and you know my just hearing all of this because I I have the same philosophy I absolutely agree but I don't practice Charlotte Mason we are self-directed learners we really we call ourselves unschoolers yeah and And so even though we are unschoolers and you practice Charlotte Mason, I I had spoke with another mom. I had Lisa Ann Dillon, who is a homeschooling parent and a teacher, but classical education is her focus. And that's what she teaches as well in a charter school in the States. Um, Even, and, and other, other forms of, of learning and homeschooling, it's still the common thread. As much as, you know, unschooling may seem very different to classical education or to Charlotte education, the basis and foundation is still the same. Absolutely. Trust the relationship and that our children are born curious. They're born, you know, they're already whole. Right. It's it's not the opposite of they're not anything and it's our job to make them something. They already are whole. So, you know, it's interesting how you would think that we have very divergent different ways of learning and living, but at the core, it's not. It's It's very much the same. It's true. And, you know, one of the the earliest voices in the UK who I uh, learned from about the Charlotte Mason philosophy was an unschooling from 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 a mother of an unschooling schooling family and she had a blog about unschooling she had she spoke at conferences about unschooling yet when I'm I was messaging her, she said I have read all six volumes multiple times of Charlotte Mason's work and mm-hmm. it's incredibly important and precious to me but the power is in the um how you outwork that and even though she held so many of those values her convictions were still you know, lined up with that unschooling nature. And she did a great job. I mean, she had four or five children and they're all grown now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you'll find there's this, the, the foundation of it comes through in many, many people's philosophies in their home, whether they realize it or not. I think it's what yeah. we really want for our children. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. That's yeah. right. And how we approach that, yeah, in our family life and as parents, yes. Yes. So then maybe, Leah, you can explain a little bit um, how, okay, so we're talking about say, an unschooling day and a Charlotte Mason day. What, there are still differences in how maybe the day is set up or what the day would look like. I know it's hard <laughs> to go, you know, this different stages and ages and years and the vast amount of information as well. But could you maybe give an example of how you would plan a year even, how 
you would go about with the structure of that? Because from what I understand, Charlotte Mason, the daily practices or the yearly practices are more structured than an unschooling practice. Um, they would be more structured than an unschooling practice, yes. But I, I mean, again, I know I know unschoolers who whose children like to sit down and listen to a book and then narrate. Exactly. So yeah. it's so different, isn't it? Family to family. But yeah, I'm happy to uh, just kind of walk you through a little bit of that process. And obviously, as you said, it has changed over the years with the ages of my children. But the, there are some familiar rhythms but I, that I return to. I tend to, around this time of year, I will have an overall idea of um, kind of do a, you know, big uh, big piece of paper and just get all my ideas down of kind of what I want to see this year, what I really think would be great for us to do more of, reflect a bit on last year, um, maybe take some notes on each child, you know, what their strengths are, what I was seeing them thriving, what their passions are, what they're loving right now, and just do um get it all down on paper. And I think that's the important thing for me. It's children first rather than mm-hmm. what am I going to use? It's like, what are my children? How are they progressing? What are they loving? How What are they struggling with, you know? And so once I've, uh, and I think it's important to be continuously studying our children and, and um, yes. that's that kind of summer review for me is very important. I'm, I'm then, actually giggling. Sorry to interrupt, but no, I'm actually giggling it. right now because it sounds exactly the same thing I do. Uh, <laughs> and that we do as a family, it's exactly yeah. the same. <laughs> yeah. it's so, and it's so important, isn't it? That we, I think rather than jumping straight on and buying curriculum and shopping for all the things, actually, why am I here in the first place? It's for my children, yes. but they need to come first. Um, so that's a really wonderful thing. And even just, you know, like you said, doing it with them, asking them, what did you love last year? What are you, what are you enjoying right now? What are your passions? Um, so, so for instance, my um, third son, third, yeah, third born, he's a, he's a boy. He, he wants to be a graphic designer. So we, uh, we were able to get a new Mac this summer and we've got some design packages on there and we've said to him, okay, learn creative suite, get yourself a portfolio together. And he's only nice. 12, but why not? Eh? Exactly. <laughs> Just, that's right. Yeah. And um, most people wouldn't see that as very Charlotte Mason, <laughs> but, it, but, it's, <laughs> but it is 20, it's the 21st century. I have a 12 year old who wants to be a graphic designer. So what do you do? You resource them, you, you help them and equip them. And um, so that's, that's great fun. Um, so, so what I will do then is once I've kind of assessed all that, I will then look at the, um, I think we can often in the Charlotte Mason philosophy, I, I do bulk a little bit of the word curriculum because it seems to, uh, it seem, people will visualize printables and books and boxes mm-hmm. and things, whereas curriculum really means the subjects you've chosen to study. Um, so I've had to come to terms with using that phrase in my own head. So I will then look at, okay, what are the subjects that we want to study this year? And they would be, you know, taken from um, math, English, geography, history, a language, maybe uh, poetry, Shakespeare, uh, uh, you name it. So I will then list down the things I want to bring to the table that year. And then I will, what I tend to do once I've got an overall picture, I work in six week cycles. Um, that seems to work. And then, you know, life happens, things get, you know, weeks and weeks and days get disturbed, but I work in six week cycles. So then I will look at what are the books and resources that I'm going to use to teach or to bring this subject to the table. So for history, 
you know, what living book am I going to use? How are we going to learn Spanish? Um, what Shakespeare play are we going to look at this term? Uh, what poet are we going to study? What composer are we going to listen to? And then I will list down the, the how. So, you know, what first, then how. And then when I had all four at home, when they were all young um, at that age, then I would like look at which children would do that. So which, you know, because not, not all the children do all the subjects. And then really it's a case of putting that plan into some kind of schedule, whether that's a loop schedule where you're just kind of listing things, getting round to them eventually. Or, I mean, I had some years when I would put them in a Google spreadsheet and it would all be very neat and timetable, which never went to plan. Um, I gave up <laughs> quite early. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how the, the, the planning would look. And I do, I think the six weeks is long enough to see if you need to change is that working? And I'm very, so I use this term about having freedom within format. So I like to make a plan. Sorry, free, freedom within freedom format? Within format. So I, okay, I do make format. a plan and I will have some kind of structure, but I, I like to make sure that we're flexible within that. So um, I'm not, I'm not really like ticking things off and I don't feel stressed if something hasn't been done. That's not my personality and it's not how I want my kids to feel either. Um, so that's why I like doing, I mean, I, a few years ago I discovered how loop scheduling, which I use kind of for things like cleaning. Um, I thought, Oh, I could mm -hmm. use with, with the, our schooling. I can just list down what I want to achieve in a week and just go back around again and back around again. And that was great, especially in a year of transition. I remember one year, I think we moved house and my husband changed his job and then something else, there was a surgery going on with a kid. And I thought I need to simplify everything. So I stay flexible. I don't always do the same thing, but the, the heart of it is, you know, looking at the subjects and how are we going to use them? And then, um, you know, we have rhythm, really. That's kind of how I, I work, mm -hmm. work within rhythms in the house rather than a tight schedule. And um, so we have this morning rhythm, which a lot of homeschoolers use the phrase morning, uh, what do they say, morning basket or morning time. Um, yes. I, really yes that that. Thing. I was kind of doing that anyway over the breakfast table, but I didn't know it was a thing. Uh, it's such an <laughs> easy thing to make these things into something, doesn't it? Um, yeah, and then they become does. books. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we that feels like an, a meal times and natural gatherings with families. I mean, food and children, they always work, don't they? So I would always begin um, the day with food and then maybe a, a Bible reading, a poetry reading. We might have some classical music on in the background in the morning. Um, and, and Charlotte Mason talked about the atmosphere of the home. And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, the dishes are done, it's tidy and there's a candle on. The atmosphere of the home is about the ideas that rule our lives, the things that linger and that our children pick up on, but we maybe don't even realize it. So the kind of values of your family and mm -hmm. that's important. But I also do think that we can create a gentle learning environment where our children feel at rest, they feel safe, they feel like, yeah, I can listen, I can engage, I can lean in. Um, so, and Charlotte Mason was a, a real favour of short lessons, not lingering too long, kind of short and deep. <laughs> so, you know, do it for a little bit of time, but do it well. So those that morning session works really well, where you can do, maybe look at some art together, look, listen to a poem, um, 
you know, all those kind of things. And then the day would move on where children would have their independent study. And then there are some periods of the day where we do things as a group. So maybe, maybe our history reading we do together. Um, so, and I kind of break it up into that gathered learning, group learning. And then somebody recently, when I was trying to describe that, called it going solo. So gathered learning, group learning and going solo. So basically work they do, they can do on their own without much help. Things that they do maybe together in twos or threes and then the whole family together. And really that's the rhythm of our days, the rhythm of our week works around uh, those settings moving. And, you know, we've got a room which we call the homeschool room, but we're hardly ever in here. The books are in here. (laughs) But homeschooling happens. Homeschooling happens all around the house or in the garden or in the park. Um, But it really is. So, you know, the big feature is something called Living Books and Charlotte Mason because there was this focus on ideas and these and this relationship with thinkers, she really stressed the importance of choosing books and resources that were um, from uh, had a narrative value. So you read, so a lot of them read like stories, or they have a passionate author, um, and you can when you read them, you can easily tell them back to somebody. So that's how you know, you know, this is, a, and they're very different from textbooks that kind of feed information. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a living book does is is brings knowledge out, really connects with knowledge. So I don't, I don't know. Could you maybe give an example of a living book? that you um, like or we could I refer mean, yeah, it that we I think mean, of? I mean, there's, I, I, I mean, there are so many. Like <laughs> King, so many Arthur, King Arthur or Lancelot or? Yeah, I mean, all that kind of stuff, really. There's so many. I mean, from a history point of view, there are absolutely tons. Um, but if you think about Shakespeare and you want to begin children on the stories of Shakespeare, um, if they're not ready to go straight into the plays, um, Elizabeth Nesbitt, wrote a book called Beautiful Stories from Shakespeare, which is wonderful for young children, an absolute living book, but it's it's telling the stories of Shakespeare. And then Charles and Mary Lamb, they wrote a book called... Um, um, oh gosh, I can't even remember the title. I'm surrounded by books and I, I'm now lost, but that's basically <laughs> Shakespeare as well. And almost a stage up from the Nesbit one, but still a living book, not quite the play, but tells the story and you could read it. There's Greek mythology, things like Aesop's, um, mm-hmm. Aesop's fables, um, mm-hmm. where they tell a story and you can actually say to a child, hey, why don't you tell me back? So even, I mean, storybooks, Charlotte's Web, you know, um, oh, yeah. those kind of Web. stories are just lovely because they are they tell a story, they have a human uh, emotions in there, then there's not too much. Um, I think you can tell with children's storybooks if they're not particularly living, they have loads and loads of dialogue, whereas um, – you know, it's, it's E.B. White, isn't it? The Charlotte's Web. The, the, yeah. the story is told in this beautiful narrative way. So if you you read that and enjoy it, well, you can find books like that for history and geography and uh, biographies about scientists. I, I mean, I am. I wish you could see my room. I'm sat in. I'm just surrounded <laughs> by them. Um, and basically, I do this thing called a, two, a one or two page test. If you're in a secondhand bookshop and you're thinking, is this a living book? You read the first page. Uh, and if you're not sure, read the second page. Does it make you want to read on? 
Mm. You kind of, oh, I I need to read more. Um, If you close the book, would you be able to tell somebody what you just read? Um, Mm. And those kind of things, you know, does it feel like the author is passionate about what they're writing about? And those kind of telltale signs are very different from, say, opening a and I don't particularly want to use any any brand names, but opening a textbook where it might be beautiful with pictures and photographs, but it just gives facts. And, right. um, you know, some children, I mean, I know they're lovely and inviting and enticing, but the fa- if you're talking about books for an educational purpose, you know, it's not the facts that children don't engage with them. They might like them and read them and maybe remember a few, but if they were engaging with, a person's life so for instance for history we love um an author um who his name is um let me just think rj unstead so unstead is his surname and he writes loads of history books um quite old ones but he so he and the way he writes it feels like my children are engaging with people in history and not just a date an event something right. you know, a timeline yeah. and so they can kind of they're listening to a story about Bodicea and they can actually imagine what it was like in that time and when they talk to me about it it's like they know them and that is the difference is that it comes alive so they're creating this relationship with a place in history a person in history and maybe it connects with a poem they've read or uh, a fable they've read or something. Yeah. It all ties together over a period of years. It all begins to tie together, which is quite cool to see. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes absolute sense. And I think really most of us are attracted to living books. I think even as adults as well, I, right now my current book I'm reading, I I read a lot of nonfiction, of course, especially when it comes to learning and homeschooling things like that, but is The Golden Spruce. And it's a wonderful story. I I hate to say I can't think of the author at the moment. He is Canadian, and it's a second book of his I've read, but it is uh, told a narrative, but there's a lot of information and facts in there because it's about this ancient golden spruce tree that was golden in Haida Gwaii and the islands off of British Columbia. And it was you know, it tells about the logging industry and the history of BC and um, the the fur trade and the peoples of Haida Gwaii, the Haida people, and the environmental activism that happened in the forestry and logging industry. And essentially, it is around the one character who cr- commits a crime, a huge crime, a spiritual John, and, a, and a legal crime. Sorry? Is it John Valiant? Yes, exactly. It is. Yes. Valent or something. Valent. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And he cuts down the tree and then what happens to him after. But it's, you know, there's a lot of information in his books. I think the other book he had was Tiger about Siberia. um, That is so is so interesting, but his the narrative, the story, and yes, how he makes right. it so you know very real, so very you're enthralled, like you you want to be there, oh, yeah. and you keep turning the page, and yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah living books create, uh, you know, they offer so much in that way for sure. They really do, yeah. And and the thing is with them as well, the more the more you. So Charlotte Mason said to, for us to learn to discern what a living book is. So I think uh, many 
um, home educators, they they rely on book lists and what other people have recommended. But, you know, mm-hmm. I bought from book lists before and they haven't worked with our family. They have my children haven't liked them. And I've gone, this is not really living in, in, from what I would say is a living book. So I had to decide, OK, I'm going to I'm going to learn to discern, as she told us to. And I began to, um, I mean, this is easier if you're in a bookstore than if you're looking online, Um, but you do tend to learn. And, and, you know, if you're in community, you can kind of bounce off each other. What are you using for this? What are you using for that? Um, And eventually I have just kind of figured out how to find them. Um, sometimes but I, I, I understand how you're saying you really have to also relate it to your family and to your children yeah, as well because it could be I think this is great but it might not connect for them that's right and that's that's the important thing after all does it work for them I, I would never force a child to read a book that you know mm-hmm. that just wasn't right yeah I do want to ask you I, I you know I'm taking notes as you're talking <laughs> and I start a few things uh-huh. that I did want to go back to sure. um, the six Six week cycles. Is that your design? Is that your idea and choice yeah. of what works for your family? Or is it Charlotte Mason recommended? Oh, no, that's me. That's completely me. Um, so she would have worked in um, English terms. And um, because she, yeah, she set up things for the school system. But I don't think that kind of thing matters. I mean, it doesn't to me. Um, I think you have to work some people's school all year round. Uh, we tend to stick with the UK school breaks because we have so many friends that are in school that we want to see I mean it's really practical Mm -hmm. isn't it but yeah Mm -hmm. I mean my whole my whole take on this philosophy has to work for your family and your rhythms so but I just find six weeks seems to be long enough for us to really get into things deeply and to really create meaning but short enough for us not to become completely exhausted um and then sometimes that fits with a a natural break whenever when other people are off um, having breaks other times it'll just we'll just take a day or two and then start again but yeah that's that's my that's my way of doing it for our family Okay. And would you say that Charlotte Mason then is, um, I had asked this of Lisa and Dylan because this was sometimes a response that I had received as well when I was talking about um, presenting different homeschooling styles like Charlotte Mason and classical. Next, I'll be doing Montessori and Waldorf as well, but um, that it's a very rigorous uh, yeah. learning program. Like it, there's quite, it's a lot. Like I, I know one parent had said, well, we were doing classical for a time and then it just became too much. And another parent had said that about Charlotte Mason, it just became too much and we let it go. What would you so say about that? I would, if somebody was said they were doing Charlotte Mason, it became too much, too much. I'd be asking them what they're doing because it's actually totally down to you. The philosophy is the is the foundation and then you then bring the application so what somebody might be referring to is when they say it's too much they might be referring to a program that they followed which I have never done so there Mm. are various programs uh some of them are free some you can buy that um that would they advertise themselves as a Charlotte Mason curriculum or a Charlotte Mason yeah Charlotte Mason curriculum and they would give you certain uh, a certain list of books 
and for each age group and a certain, you know, readings for each day. And so I, I, I mean, even that, even talking about it right now is giving me <laughs> <laughs> the idea of that, of somebody kind of telling me what to do each day with each child. That does not fit my, um, yeah, that doesn't fit our family values at all. And it, it also doesn't sit right with what I understand about the philosophy. So here's the thing. Charlotte Mason wrote these six books over 40 years, 35, 40 years of work. She actually was training governesses to work with wealthy households. She was also training teachers. Then eventually they came up with this thing called the PNEU schools and the PUS program. People can Google all this. And there's there's so many layers of the um, outcome of her work that impacted schools and wealthy homes. Then she had um, a somebody who worked with her in the poorer, what they called the the cottage village homes in you know mining cottages, mining villages in England, where they they um, they bought living books for these little tiny schools that would never uh, have access to these things. So she she really was working with a school system. And then what mm, okay. what actually looked like homeschooling, and I'm kind of doing air quotes here, what, what actually looked like homeschooling in the late 19th, early 20th century was very much, um, it was either the very wealthy who had governesses. So in her books, you will read about the nurses coming in. And it's so funny. I and mean, some of the some of the writing is, I just think it's hilarious because it's so far from our life now. Right. <laughs> so but then also at the same time, there were mothers who maybe just chose to keep their children at home because it worked for their family and maybe they couldn't um they you know they couldn't afford the uniform or they couldn't afford the bus fare or whatever it was and um, completely different situations where they began to um implement charlotte mason's philosophy at home so what happened was she started to they set up a correspondence system um, so they had a magazine called the Parents Review, which is wonderful to read back some of those. Um, you can get them online. You can see the archives. So if you imagine their assist systems began to be put in place, there were patterns of how a day would work and how long a lesson would be and uh, which book would be used in a cycle over various years, because that's what you have to do when you have hordes of families across the world who are saying how do I do this well what do we do we say well here's a program with home educating now in the 21st century we don't have to I mean you know I speak for the UK we're not really accountable to anybody we don't have to hand a, a statement in of we don't have to hand reports in I am free to bring to the table to kind of bring the values of our family and, and to educate my children how we see fit. So what started to happen was there's a there's this phrase that's used in in the book, the very well known book for the children's sake, where uh, uh, I do believe the books were sent out to India. Charlotte Mason's books were sent out to India, or the program was. And the missionary said, "I'm going to take the roots and the trunk, and I'm going to apply it to the culture that I'm in." And I think that is key to us today. So, mm. so I kind of have gone off on a tangent there, sorry. But to go, back <laughs> sorry. To, to go back to the lady who might have said, we tried to do Charlotte Mason, it was too much. Then I would say, well, what are you following? Are you, are you making it your own? Are you um, taking the philosophy and 
you know, deciding what you're going to study yourself, deciding what books you're going to do yourself, because if you're doing it that way, then it really flows with the rhythm of your family and the stage and season that you're at. And, and again, that's a big message for me is that you have to find your freedom within this philosophy. You do not. I always say to people, my intention was never to recreate um, a Victorian schoolroom in my home. <laughs> you know, that's, I don't want to do that. That's not my intention. But I am, what I loved and was drawn to was the core of the philosophy of what Charlotte Mason, how she approached motherhood, childhood, and education. And I thought, I want to take that and, and apply it to my 21st century family. And right. that would be, you know, so I do, I do get people who have followed certain programs. They've been overwhelmed. That is their only perception of Charlotte Mason. They've never read her work. They've never kind of discovered it for themselves and they burn out. And then Mama Leah sweeps in and says, come on, we can do this. Let me show you how. <laughs> and, um, I love doing that. I, but it, it's a big, it's a paradigm shift and it's a big learning curve for many mothers. Because, well, and I also understand that the core, as you had said, is yes. the relationship as well. Yes. And I think it, it's the relationship. What I understand is the relationship with ourselves, but also the relationship with our kids, especially. That's and building right. that relationship is hearing and listening to them and reflecting and supporting their needs and wants, not Absolutely. all of this, you know, getting something else. Someone else says you have to get this, this, do this, this, and this, and then getting all of that and plopping it down in front of them or on top of them. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Right. So then I also would like to, you know, I have many questions for you. Oh, so, <laughs> <not. That's> <laughs> um, And I had asked you this before as well. And I know I had put a star beside it too, because when you were talking about your rhythms, your morning rhythms, um, interesting, because I talk about in our family, we have rhythms and rituals, not schedules. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and the rhythms, part of it in the morning is you had mentioned uh, scripture. Yeah. And that is, and, and you'd also said Charlotte Mason was Christian. She was Anglican. Yeah. Um, so do you have to be Christian to follow the Charlotte Mason method? Can you be secular? Can you adapt it? What What is the background of that and, and how is it applied to today? So Charlotte Mason's, uh, really her, the thing that comes through um, her work more than anything as her approach to children is that she wanted, she used this phrase, an education for all. Okay. So an education for all. So no matter who you were, what your economic status was, you know, who, what, what your plans for the future were, everybody deserved to have this freedom in education that children deserve to have, um, a connection with great thinkers, great minds, great art. So if you think about it that way, I think that's a really important place to start, an education for all. So Charlotte Mason was a Christian. Yeah, she had, um, her denomination was, was Anglican. And she said very much through, again, this comes through her foundational principles, is that there's no separation between education and the divine, the spiritual life. So there is that teaching all the way through her work. But to answer your question, if her 
heart and and kind of mission was education for all then that doesn't work does it because not everyone is going to believe that not everyone is going to have that same approach to to faith and spirituality so she would have advised that children to be exposed to the bible to read scripture in her programs she um spoke about the holy spirit in her books she um really didn't separate her her work and her faith she brought it all together and depending on when we approach a piece of work when we approach philosophy when we approach any writing I guess we come to it with our preconceived ideas with our foundation of who we are and I think if you are open to reading that and again like I've been saying all the way through applying it to your family your family values you know, how it looks for you. I think anyone can do this. Anyone can do that. You know, anyone can approach and read the Charlotte Mason philosophy and take it on as their own. For some people, you know, it might seem too much. But I I know people who have a Christian faith and maybe from a different denomination and they don't like the way she uses scripture and they don't like her expression of her faith. So they're turned off by that. So I think if you're going to be turned off, you could be turned off by anything. Um, you could be turned off by her Victorian ways and her uh, how she paints this picture of wealth and you know but I think to, to answer simply I think anyone can um, read read about the philosophy and apply it to their home so I, I can speak for our the expression of Charlotte Mason educators here in the UK and I run a group online and real life which is growing and growing and they're people from all different backgrounds beliefs faiths and we and we say the group is open for all faiths or none and Mm. um, that's always been my approach I think that's where you grow community and a real expression of diversity don't you Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, it is very important. And then, you know, as well, that I think also leads very well into my next question for you, which is um, diversity again. And, and the idea that maybe Charlotte Mason and following again, it's funny because, you know, the more we talk and the more we talk about the relationship and really being flexible and hearing and responding and supporting our children um, and not following the strict, you know, some other strict ideas, but bringing in different cultures and ideas and that Charlotte Mason maybe was very Eurocentric. And therefore, if you follow that, you will have one set of ideas or history that your children are being exposed to. Is that still the case? And I know you're modern, Miss Mason. Um, Can you talk a little bit to that too? (laughs) Oh, so important and so important to me. This is another reason why I try as much as I respect the set programs and people kind of I think the the programs and curriculums that have been created that have the you know that kind of title the Charlotte Mason curriculum I know why they're done they're to help people and to kind of give people tools to to really some people need tell me what to do tell me what to tick off tell me what to read I get that Uh, that's just not me and it's not my personality but also (laughs) what I think it does I do think it puts barriers up to people 
doing the journey themselves. Um, as Charlotte Mason said, mothers and educators, they, it's important that they stay intellectually alive. You know, we mm, yes. our journey of learning and engaging with the world that we're in today. What does it look like? What is the world I'm bringing my children up in? And how do I equip them and help them in their journey of education, in their journey of knowledge? And so, so for me, I... I cannot be tied to somebody else's ideas for my family. I cannot have this strict, you know, you must read this book at this stage because some of them are archaic and their ideas are just not helpful anymore. Yes, Mm. the heart of it is and the way it's written, I understand it can be a great lesson in living books. But actually, um, you know, I think we had over the summer um, on our local UK group, there was some amazing discussions about really, okay, come on, let's talk about diversity. Let's talk about what books we're reading. And I had mothers uh, speaking about it on, on live video. I had people putting book lists out. They were just, it was so great. Um, I think that more and more we need to be, um, yeah, for our, thinking about our own families, what do I want them to read? And looking for those books, looking for those, you know, dealing with those questions and curiosities, and what is going on in the world today. And I think we'd be um, we'd be foolish, we'd be narrow minded to just say, well, this is my curriculum, and these are the books we've got to read. Right. And, um, right. You know, they're for, even though they're from the nineteen whatever, you know, nineteen twenty or nineteen ninety four. And I, I know, admittedly, I love vintage books. I have a I have stacks of them. Um, <laughs> it doesn't mean they're always right to educate my children with. So I think we have to stay. We have to stay alert. We have to stay open to that conversation. We have to understand the world that we're bringing our children in, and um, you know, just stay connected, stay in relationship, and. I think we widen our thinking, widen our community, be open to hearing and learning from many cultures um, um, and making sure the diet that we, you know, the, the feast, to use Charlotte's mm-hmm. words, is is diverse and beautiful and colourful and, um, yeah, I think keeps that conversation open. I think it's really important. And again, just to reiterate, I'm not against people using somebody's plan or curriculum, but I just think there's a little warning. There should be a warning on it. <laughs> you know, is this really what you want? Um, right. You know, read this carefully. And and people switch books in and out. But I think that I have come more alive in this. And I think the big secret to one of the, if someone, if someone was to ask, you know, the secret source of longevity in this, I think it's just staying fresh. You know, mm. never kind of taking each year as a new start. You know, what what can I learn this year? What of what can I do differently? Who can I learn from? Who am I in community with? And it keeps us humble, keeps us fresh, and it keeps us um, as current as we possibly can. You know. Yeah, it does. And and we'd spoken briefly about this before. And, you know, that is something that I hear reoccurring with you as well right now is we're still the student. We even as parents, we are still the learner. We're still the student in the process. It's, you know, I always as well, when I work with families, talk about the importance of modeling and modeling is still part of that learning. And when we are the students, we're modeling 
to and with our kids that if we were talking about lifelong learning and enjoyment of learning, that we're doing the same as well. Absolutely. And I, and I, I, I hope that that is the theme of my life is I always want to be learning. And mm, I think yes. just that phrase, I remember I read it again this summer um, about being Charlotte, you know, saying we have to stay intellectually alive. She kind of made, it, it's, it's almost thrown in the end of a sentence. And she said, it's almost like an assumption. Like, of course, you're going to be still learning. Of mm. course you are. It goes without asking you are also a student and you are also still to be learning. And um, yeah, it's, it's so important. We can't really relax on that. Yeah, no, we can't. So, you know, maybe we can also talk a little bit about, um, as I'm looking at our time as well here, a little bit of a difference that I know you could give really good insight on as well. And many of my listeners are from the UK. Um, first, I should ask, where in the UK do you live? Where are you from? Um, so I'm from Yorkshire, the north of England. I'm a Yorkshire girl, but I actually live in Coventry, which is right in the middle of the country. So about two hours north of London. Um, and the nearest place people might know is Stratford upon Avon. Mm. So we're about half an hour from Stratford. Um, so yeah, so we're right in the middle. So you have some living experiences along with living books then when <laughs> we're talking about um, Shakespeare. Um, I mean, the UK is full of castles and stately yes. houses. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I Yes, it is. It is very amazing. Yeah. So um, in the UK, just as in any kind, I live in Canada, uh, you know, a majority of my listeners actually are in the United States and then in Canada, UK, Australia, New Zealand, and very many other countries that I should actually give a list one day of all the countries that I've received messages from or that I see tune in, which oh. is pretty amazing and pretty cool. Yeah. But um, homeschooling is growing, it's international, but yet depending where we live, it's different based on our government, politics, regulations, culture, people, um, ideas. In Canada, it's different from the United States. Where I live, it is fairly regulated compared to even other provinces where I live in Canada. Um, So many times when I have guests that are American and talk about um, certain things that you can do in the U- U.S. when you're homeschooling, it doesn't always apply to families in Australia or Canada or the That's U.K. Um, so could you maybe give a little bit of background and perspective on homeschooling in the U.K.? Is it very regulated? Um, how does a process work for a family that's looking to get into it? And then if you could even talk about long-term, how what that looks for post-secondary. Sure. So it... it it's we're pretty much a generation of first generation homeschoolers. Uh, okay. There are, I, I think, I know one or two people now, young mums who are second generation, but that's just beginning now. So we're still quite young. But over the t- over the past fourteen, fifteen years, um, it has multiplied immensely. I mean, there are just homeschool communities all over the country and quite large ones there's conferences happening now and there's yeah just growing 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 um we it's not regulated at all currently um so if your children are in school then you are required to deregister them which i'm sure is the same most places write a letter um stating what you're doing you're choosing to home educate your children 
And then that's basically it. You're kind of, you know, crossed off the list of no longer being responsible uh, from the local education um, authority and you're left alone. Now, I say left alone um, because that's legally you are able to be just left alone. Some counties around the UK do have um, members of staff as part of their local education authority who pay visits to home educators. Again, it's not heavy. It's not kind of, but especially if they've got children with special educational needs, they will get extra support, definitely. Um, But they may send a letter out. They may offer to come and visit you. They may offer support. But legally, you're not required to do anything at all. Um, We have complete freedom. Uh, which mm. which is incredible. Um, yes. occasionally, occasionally, some kind of bill will be passed, try attempted to be passed through through government and through parliament, and it would seem that the home educators' voice is getting louder and louder here, and nothing has ever really passed. Um, so even things like you know the government have tried to I think they've been concerns over registering and who is home educating who isn't you know do we know everybody where is everybody um (laughs) you know I understand that and and we're not you know as a family personally we're not afraid of that kind of thing uh but some home educators do want to stay under the radar don't they they just want to just leave me be and I respect that um so we have complete freedom uh which can be amazingly liberating for some families and very scary for others um and especially when you get into a conversation with your dentist or something they say is that legal how are you you know um, can you do that really yeah yeah skirting the law leah really (laughs) yes i'm walking into my dental surgery and i'm completely illegal with my children it's so funny when they (laughs) like that some of the questions. So that's how that looks. So really, you're just left to your own devices to crack on and get on with it. Uh, there are lots of wonderful home educating communities now. There are support groups and tutors available. And so that there really is, I mean, I, I'm, I don't know where, um, just hello to all the UK listeners, by the way, but I don't know where <laughs> they are in the country. Uh, and I do know that there are some remote places of, say, uh, Devon and Scotland and places where mm. you tell me there isn't much community but in the cities and the inner you know the inner city areas there tends to be and even in the sort of urban suburb I mean I'm in I'm in um quite near a city a major city uh, there are groups that gather and people drive and travel to be in community so that's that now when as the children are getting older so the normal UK system is we have um general certificate of secondary education so GCSEs and children begin to do that process at the age of 14 to 16 so there's a two-year process in the UK it would be year 10 and 11 I don't know what the equivalent is in the US or Canada but it's year 10 and 11 so they will be 14, 15, 16 that's around about the age they would be and they would study a, a, a vast array so up to about 10 different subjects and each of those subjects would have at least one or two exams attached to them and they take mm. those exams at the end of year 11 and those results are national results so they are um generally required for 
you know, to apply for jobs, to apply for the next stage. So children here can leave school at 16. They can go into work, but they are required to do some form of learning up until the age of 18. Um, but quite popular here now are apprenticeships where kids can start working at 16, learn a trade, but they do a, a day in a community college or something like that. Um the next stage then, so the two years before you would apply to go to university, would be A-levels or they're called B-techs. I mean, it takes ages that they're more of a, um, a vocational course. And you can do that in something called sixth form or you can do it, in like I guess, in the States, it would be known as a community college. And that will be the next stage. And then you would, t- again, take exams, do coursework. And with those qualifications, you can then apply for the university. So okay. in come the homeschoolers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And um now I I do know many homeschoolers that have never haven't gone down the GCSE route and they've done something like um teach, is it ACE, ICCI, something like that. I can't remember what it all is, but they would have a, a similar equivalent kind of qualification but generally if you go to a college with those you know it is a special circumstances interview they may want you to do exams as well but there are success stories you know kids do get into places through exams but generally in the UK you would need to do GCSEs to kind of give you the ticket to move on to then do A-levels or B-techs, which then you'd be able to go into college. Now, I'm sure there are listeners shouting at the podcast saying, what about this? You can do this. You can do this. (laughs) And yes, I'm listening to you. There are other ways. So some people here do the US um, SAT. SAT, is that right? Yes. SAT, yeah. Apparently. Um, I know one person who's done this out of many, many homeschoolers, but it is possible. Some people study and take the SAT and they ask, there are a couple of universities that do accept that in the UK. So there's always an exception to the rule, isn't there? Always. Yeah. But yeah. the general route is GCSEs and then A-levels or BTEC. So that is the route. Now you can do GCSEs from home. I think it's it's possibly the same everywhere. As soon as you are deregistered from the school system, you have to fund everything. So there's no funding for GCSEs. So if you choose to take them at home, then you have to pay for everything. You pay for the books, you pay for the exams. Um, and you can do that at home. Lots of people do that. You can get tutors and do them at home and just do whatever you need to do. My older two children, um, they, my eldest daughter, who's coming up for 18, she started them at home. It really wasn't working because it was such a different way of schooling. She decided mm-hmm. to go into an academy and take them in the school system. My son, who then came up after her, he decided to do the same thing. So it's almost like a fast track, just two years, get them done, and then move on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what my older two decided to do. My younger two were finding new ways of doing it. We're looking at different ways of doing it. So I think, I mean, you can do things like if there are enough of you in that stage of education, enough of the children, you could form a little um, co-op, you know, and one Mm -hmm. of the moms could teach the syllabus. Uh, So there's so many creative ways you can do it. 
But yes, that is the way, really. But but as I say, I'm sure there are listeners kind of, well, I know somebody who did this. Yeah. You know? I'm doing and it this way, yeah. Yes, and there are those. And, and especially with fabulous unschooling families, I've known people who have literally got in to university without any formal qualifications, but they've got in on interview because they're just so brilliant or with a portfolio or something like that. But that is very risky. But if you're willing to take the risk, go for it. Um, My children really wanted to have, and we always said, you know, these don't define you. These results aren't who you are, but they're a ticket to move on. And that's how we've communicated what they are. Um, And they opted for that. So, well, I think, I think that is, part of it as well is there's usually, you know, there's usually a way. <laughs> and yeah. I guess sometimes it's how bold do you want to be with trying to figure it out and the time That's you put right. in there. But That's yeah, right. there is absolutely usually a way. And I always think as well, not every child could handle an interview. You know, mm-hmm. so not every, you know, the outcome of every home, home educated child, again, if children are born persons, they're all individual. They're not necessarily going to, you know, and, and, couple of my kids I could stick them in an interview room and they would talk the ear off the interviewer absolutely they'd be brilliant (laughs) but then you know a couple of mine would just be like no way I just want to sit the exams and show you know show (laughs) I do not want to do that um so you have to just you do have to read the situation for your family and um I think this is where we study our children listen to our children you know where does it look like they're heading and it is good to ask around, see what other people are doing in your community, because there are other ways of doing it, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I agree with what you said as well, is that it doesn't define them. And so, you know, that is a question. And, and I, you know, asked for you to talk a little bit about the later process and post-secondary, but going to university and getting a university degree does not define you as being a better no. person than, That's you know, uh, than as someone else who has a university degree. So, and I, and the same, I know, I know friends who do not have a degree and have been very successful, more so successful than a counterpart who has, yeah. has many degrees <laughs> in a similar yeah, field. I, so. I, and that's just human, isn't it? They're amazing. Yeah, yeah. I know I've got people in my life the same. I think it's just, uh, if you have their own and capabilities, then go for it. Uh, yes. But a lot of kids here in the UK, they don't want they don't want the debt, and they're quite smart. Yes. At that. They're kind of saying, "Well, I I don't want to get the student debt, so I'm going to find a different way." Um, yeah. and I think, yeah, I great. think that's happening universally. Um, yes. I think some places, of course, are more expensive than others. A, a university education in the state seems to be more of the high end than maybe than Canada or the UK, but costs have gone up here as well. But many yes. are saying, "No, I'm." I'm going to do something else or I'm going to take quite a few years to think about it and earn money before I do or, or something else. So, and we have so much accessible online now and so many universities as well are offering even the MOOC courses and the online free courses, but then they do offer, well, if you do want a certificate, you can pay this much by doing it online and you'll still receive the certificate or, you know, so yeah, yeah, it's education is evolving. For sure, really, I think. And all the way through every year, my husband has said, it's, you know, who knows, we can't plan too far ahead because it'll just change, you know. It's going right. to change the child, yeah. and it has. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. It all, even curriculum. I know our school, our local curriculum, our provincial curriculum is going to change soon again now as well. So as much as many even now that are homeschooling for the first time are worried about their children following the curriculum and getting the outcomes, this curriculum is not going to stay. <laughs> and right. I don't know what the new one's going to look like. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I want to thank you. I know right now it is nighttime for you okay. <laughs> uh, in Coventry here. And I, I do want to respect your sleep and uh, time with your family as well. So thank you so much, Leah, for joining me. But before you go, I would like you to share with the audience how they can contact you, um, how they can reach you, find out more information, because I know you do offer a lot. So if you could tell us all of those ways and all of those things. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm quite easy to find um, across social media. I'm either Leah Bowden um, or Modern Miss Mason. So typing either one of those things into um, Google or Instagram or Facebook, you'll generally find me. So Modern Miss Mason is my platform for purely speaking about the Charlotte Mason philosophy. So it's very niche if you are interested in finding out more. And I do, uh, there are links on there to co- a course that I run. Um, and then, but if you're just interested in my day-to-day family life and everything else that I do, then I, I keep that over on Leah Bowden. So yeah, and I've got a website, leahbowden.com. Again, you can find that by going to modernbizmason.com. So that's really the best place to find me. I'm generally on Instagram um, most days, Monday to Friday. I have kind of a set, especially on Modern Miss Mason, I have uh, worked to a set plan to try and help encourage and teach people over there. So that's fun. Okay, wonderful. I think next time we'd have to ask you to come back on and talk about how you balance and maybe even more of your loop scheduling and doing all of that, supporting other homeschoolers, your business and your children in in Charlotte Mason learning. So yes. Yeah, that's another whole hour, I think. (laughs) It is. It really truly is. Yeah. I think it'll be a valuable hour though. So yeah. I'll connect with you about how, what we can do about that later. Oh, absolutely. So. <laughs> I'm happy to come back. And this has been, uh, this has been great. So lovely to connect with you and a great conversation. Thank you. Oh, I've loved it. Thank you so much, Leah. I'm, I'm really happy that we did get to connect. So me too. All right. Well, thank you. And um, everyone you could, I will actually add your information in the show notes as well as a lot of the, um, references that you spoke about too. I'll put those in the show notes too. So Great. if anybody's wondering, they can go there to link and, and find them as well. It'll be a lot easier then. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.